The road to God is no road at all. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we as Christians hold to a faith that is so different to any other religion around. All other religions speak about roads. We speak about a person, Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking at this person, Jesus Christ, the God-man. So I'd ask you to turn to two passages this morning just to put some framework around. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14 is the first one. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14. If you're looking for that in your Bibles, that's in the New Testament. If you're not sure, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all unlawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We'll come back to that passage right at the end. <clears throat> then if you turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 to 14. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 to 14. Now, just a bit of background to this passage. King Ahaz heard the news one day that the Assyrians and also the Ephraimites had decided to make war on him. And as soon as he heard this news, he was troubled. But the Lord sent him a message and said, Ask me any sign to show that I am with you and I will show it to you. And so we're picking up at that passage, at what happened right there, when, when the Lord said, show me any sign. And now Ahaz had to come back and ask the Lord for a sign. Alright, so that's a bit of the background. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So in other words, ask me anything, says the Lord, and I'll show it to you. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Good answer. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is he too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before it happened. Did Ahaz see that sign? No. Did he believe God? Yes, he did. Because the story carries on and you can go and look it up this afternoon. He believed God and God saved him. But that sign was all about 
God is among you. He is with you. When we come to this faith statement, the second of our faith statements, it says this. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His virgin birth, in His sinless life, in His miracles, in His atoning death through His shed blood, in His bodily resurrection, in His ascension to the right hand of the Father, and His personal return in power and glory. So there are the points of the sermon today, and we're going to look at each of them. So let's look at this first one. Christ is God. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm not going to go into the full breadth of that again. We can't. We looked at this partly last week. We believe in the Godness of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the persons of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. We believe He is God Himself, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, if Christ is not God, then we have no hope. And we are still lost in our sin and doomed for eternity. Amen. That's it. Second point. Christ is God and Christ is man. Now, we can't get our heads around this one, but we're going to try this morning. We believe in His virgin birth. Now, there's a third thing you need to get your head around. You see, in pagan myths, and you might have read and heard many of them, the gods often came down to earth to sire children with people. And the offspring they had were then semi-divine. They were half God, half man. So is Christianity just another myth? Because some people level that accusation at us. Is Christianity just another myth where God cohabited with men and with, with sorry men, you know what I mean, with women, and now we have half God, half men? Is Jesus just part God and part man? That's the one aspect. You see, modern skeptics today also frequently attack the virgin birth. You've probably seen that in our local rag in the paper. You see, if any girl today claimed that her pregnancy was the result of divine intervention, rather than a lapse in sexual standards, then her claim would be treated with some kind of suspicion, right? The words, yeah, right, come to mind. Without believing in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you see, it's very hard for people to accept the virgin birth. So if you don't believe in Jesus as Lord, if you don't believe in God, you're not going to believe that Jesus was born from a virgin. That's all I can say. And then there's the modern liberal Christians, as if the skeptics aren't enough. And the modern liberal Christians today who doubt the authority of Scripture firstly and also don't believe in miracles, they try to explain away by giving alternate interpretations, things like the virgin birth. They see it as an embarrassing incident described in Scripture. And they try and explain it away by saying that Matthew and Luke wrote about the virgin birth to make it look like 
Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 7, which we just read. It was just written there, but it didn't really happen. Because Jesus had to be seen to be fulfilling that prophecy. So that's one thing they say. The second thing they say is that the, birth, the, the, the description of the virgin birth is just an error of inclusion by the Gospel writers. They shouldn't have included it, but they did. It was a mistake. It doesn't have any historical integrity. And at most, it's a helpful story. That's what they say. Shows us the faith of earlier generations, but it's not applicable to us today. We are more sophisticated. We can see through these things. You see, these arguments don't prove anything. It just shows that they don't believe Scripture and they don't believe the Gospel writers. That's it. And if you, as a modern critic, is going to decide what not to believe in Scripture, by whose authority do you do that? Your own? Do you know everything? You see, Scripture teaches us that God takes the initiative to save mankind by sending His eternal Son into the world. That's the whole picture of Jesus coming to mankind. It is the divine signal that God is with us. How do you know that I am with you? I send my Son. And so therefore, when Christ was born of a virgin, what Scripture teaches us is that God is not, Christ is not half God, half man. You see, Christ has to be fully God and fully man. If He was not fully God, then verses like John 1.1, 1, 1, God that we've just read, they're just a lie. And the rest of Scripture is not to be trusted. If Christ was not fully God, then He could not have paid the full price for the sin of mankind because only God could pay God for the sin of mankind. If He wasn't fully God, He couldn't have paid that price. And that would have meant that there must have been some human effort required as well. And if Christ was not fully man, then how could He be as fully human as we are and as he claimed so that he could be a descendant of Adam as scripture also claims so that our sin would be, could be dealt with fully through him as the first fruits. Now what am I talking about? In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 and 18 and you can turn there if you would. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 and 18 we see that Christ had to be fully man. Otherwise, our sins couldn't have been dealt with as well. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. This is what it says. Therefore, He, that is Jesus Christ, had to be like His brothers, that's you and I if we are believers, in every respect. Why? So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation or sin payment for the sins of the people. Here it is. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Who's that? 
you and I, right? He had to be fully man. Otherwise, how could he understand my situation? How could it be the first fruits of who we are? Fully God, fully man. There's much more to this. We can't go into it all today. So he had to be Christ who is God and man. Thirdly, we believe in his sinless life. We believe that Christ was perfect. You see, unlike us, unless there are a few exceptions here this morning, unlike us, we all have our off days, right? Quite a few times a day sometimes. But Jesus Christ never had an off moment. Not one. He lived a flawless life. In his thoughts and in his deeds. Now you might be able to keep your deeds good, but I bet you your thought life goes all over the place. That's the hardest one. But Jesus didn't sin in thought and in deed. And although he he was born with a human body, just like you and I, he remained its master in all aspects. And yes, he became thirsty. And yes, he became hungry. And yes, he became tired. And he was tempted in every way as we are. But though he was tired, he didn't sin and become grumpy and burst out at people and lash out at his family. He did not give in and allow his body and its desires to master him. His thought life was sinless and perfect because he remained holy to God all the time. Holy means separated to God his whole life that he was on this earth. And therefore, he became a fit, sinless sacrifice for sin. He was sinless. Therefore, he could die for your sin and mine. If he had committed one sin, then he wouldn't have been worthy to die for our sin. Why? Because God, the Father, is holy. He is 100% holy. And not one sin can be excused. Not even, if it were, the sin of his own son. Otherwise, God wouldn't be holy. Do you see the ramifications here? And so he was the only one who was sinless and therefore able to die for us. Christ was perfect. Even his enemies tried to find a reason to point the finger at him. If there was a sin that they could identify, they would have told him. And they would have made it public. And they would have put it all over the media if they had electronics. But even they couldn't find a reason to point the finger at him. And so Pilate, the one who gave him over to the people so that he could be crucified. Pilate said, this man has done nothing wrong. The man who crucified Jesus Christ to the cross, the Roman centurion, he said, when he looked at everything that was happening, truly, this man was the Son of God. What was the implication of that? That centurion understood, this man is sinless, he must be the Messiah. The sinless one. They understood that. And so Christ was perfect. We believe in his sinless life. Fourthly, Christ was supernatural. We believe in his miracles. Unlike the modern skeptics today. 
You see, what was Christ demonstrating when he performed these miracles? He was demonstrating his omnipotence. It's a word I used last week. His all-powerfulness. God is all-powerful through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, when he was on this earth, when he stilled the storm at sea, just with a word, peace, be still, and the waves die down. And his disciples got round eyes. Wow. Even the wind and the waves obey Him. When He changed the water into wine, that got their attention. When He multiplied the loaves and the fish before them as He prayed and then distributed all that food, He was creating right in front of their eyes. He was showing I am supernatural. I am not like you. I perform miracles. You see, they saw God at work through Jesus. They saw the Creator working with His creation, showing people that God is among them. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, says Colossians 1.19. And yes, even through His miracle working. So why did He perform these miracles? Was it so that people would believe? Did they? Scripture says many people saw the miracles. Some believed, but many walked away. Most walked away from those. And today people cry out for miracles too. Show us miracles and then we'll believe. It's exactly the same question that people were asking those days. And Jesus said, I don't show you miracles because you won't believe. I only show you miracles so that you will know that God is among you. Whether you believe or not, that's between you and God. Jesus used miracles to authenticate that He was who He said He was. The Son of God. God among men. The one who was sent. Peter, the Apostle Peter spoke about this in Acts chapter 2 verse 22 when he was giving that big speech in front of all the people after that um, massive conversion of all the people. Men of Israel, he said, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. So he was accredited by God to you through the miracles which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He did these so that you would know God is among you. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe in Jesus Christ as the God of miracles? I want to ask you this morning, how big is your Lord Jesus Christ? If you believe He doesn't do miracles anymore today, how big is your God? It's not the same God that I believe in. We believe in the God who is all-powerful, He is called Jesus Christ. He can still perform miracles in your life. And yes, we pray for those miracles and sometimes we don't see them. Why? Because God is doing things in His way. And if He wanted to perform a miracle in our lives, He could. And sometimes in people's lives, He does perform miracles. And what happens? God is glorified through them. So Jesus Christ does and can perform miracles today. Don't believe any less of Him. Next point. 
Christ died for sin. We believe in His atoning death through His shed blood. His atoning death, His death paid the price that was due for sin. How did He do that? Through His blood that was shed. He became the sacrifice Himself. Was there any other way for God to save human beings than by sending His Son to die in our place? There wasn't, you see. Why? Because only God could pay God for sin. I say that often from this pulpit. And it's not true because I say it often. It's true because God says so. There's only one infinite God who could bear the full penalty for all the sins of all those who would believe in Him. Jonah, Old Testament, says this. Salvation is from the Lord. There's no other source of salvation. The whole message of Scripture is designed to show that no human being or any other creature could ever save man. Only God Himself could. And so the blood of a sinless sacrifice had to be shed for the sin-filled mankind. We are filled with sin. He is the sinless one. That's why He can pay the price. We can't. And no matter what road you walk in life, it doesn't matter how often you whip yourself every day, it doesn't matter how often you punish yourself so that God will see you and forgive your sin, you cannot pay for your sin. No priest can forgive your sin. Only Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless one, can take your sin away. There is no other way to God. It is through a person, Jesus Christ. Only His sacrifice can be the once for all sin payment that will satisfy the requirements of a holy and a completely just God. God paid God through His Son. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's no amen yet. I'll carry on. We believe in His bodily resurrection. Do you believe in His bodily resurrection? He's just not coming back as a spirit. He's coming back in His person, the person, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ rose from the dead. You see, Christ did not just rise from the dead to die again like Lazarus. Think about that. Many were raised to life again when Jesus was raised to life. But they all died again. Only Jesus Christ stayed living and is still living and will return. The living Lord Jesus Christ, He will not die again. I pray for the Jewish nation. They are still looking for their Messiah, many of them. Jesus Christ is not going to die again. The Messiah they are looking for is not going to die so that they can have their Messiah. He has come. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He is now living. He is soon to return. I pray that they would wake up and see before it's too late. We need to pray for that nation. They are deluded by the same Scripture they have. They are not deluded by Scripture. They are deluded by an unbelieving heart that doesn't want to see. And God has prophesied about that. But there is good news. Just before Jesus Christ comes, 
there's going to be a great reawakening among the Jewish people. And many will then see, He was the Messiah. How could we have been so blind? And they will come to Him. And then we will know He's about to return. Pray for the Jewish nation as well. Pray for all people who don't believe. It might be your neighbor. It might be your family member. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. Pray that they would come to Jesus Christ and see Him as their Savior while they still have time. He is the one who has died from their sin. He is the one who has died, who has risen from the dead. We believe in His bodily resurrection. You see, Christ did not just rise from the dead to die again like Lazarus. He rose from the dead to live eternally. If Christ had not risen from the dead, says the Apostle Paul, we as believers in Him would be most pitied among men. Think about that. If Christ didn't rise again from the dead as He said He did, if they could actually find His body, what are we doing here? Because it's a false belief. But He did rise again. Many, many saw Him as witnesses that He had risen again. He rose again on the third day as He said He would. And by raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that He approved of God's work of suffering and dying for our sins. That His work was completed and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. All was paid for. No more penalty left to pay for sin. There was no more wrath of God to bear. All had been completely paid for. No more guilt remained. And so God raised His Son and somehow Jesus raised Himself with it. And therefore, if God has raised us up with Him, do you get the follow-up now? If God raised us up with Jesus Christ, if He declared His Son worthy to be risen again, then He says, you too will rise with Him. And therefore, He says, the work has been done on your behalf. Lord, come down among us, I pray. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, If we have been born anew to a living hope, Sorry, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you believe that? We as a church hold to those beliefs. We will not change that belief in Jesus Christ. Because without that belief, there's nothing. Two more statements remain. We believe in His ascension to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not walking around on the earth anymore, somewhere. And if you go looking for him and pilgriming for him, you might find him somewhere. And so you need to go visiting gurus because is this Jesus? No, it isn't. He has ascended to the right hand of his Father. There's a reason for that. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he received glory, honor and authority that had not been his before. Listen to my statement, I'm not finished. As the God-man. Yes, he'd been glorified before as the second person of the Trinity, but never before had he been glorified as the God-man, Jesus Christ the Messiah. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, 
all the angels in heaven and all the people who had been saved would draw around and would be worshipping God. And right now Christ is in heaven being worshipped by all the heavenly creatures. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. That's what they're singing. And we read about this in Revelation when we studied that book. That's the reality of Christ ascending to heaven. But He's not going to stay there. And here we come to our last belief statement. We believe His personal return in power and glory. When Christ returns, it's not going to be a whimper return. You're not going to see it on social media somehow with so many likes attached it and so therefore I'd better pay attention. When Christ returns in glory, you're going to throw your cell phone away because you're not even going to see it anymore. I know that's a miracle in itself. But when Christ returns, every eye will see Him. Every ear will hear. He has returned because the trumpets of heaven are going to shout it out to you. But you will see the Son of Man reappearing. There will be no mistake. And whether you are dead or alive, you will see Jesus Christ. And whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you will see Jesus Christ. But then you can do nothing more about your belief. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the moment He returns, you will praise God and you will look forward to what's going to happen next now. And if you're an unbeliever in Jesus Christ, you're going to weep in terror and wish you could hide somewhere because you will know He is Lord and I turn my back on Him. We believe that Christ's bodily return is imminent. There might not be a tomorrow. He can return at any time. We need to be about His business. Revelation 22 verse 7. We've been here but I'm going to go there again in case you've forgotten. Revelation 22 verse 7 and verses 12 to 13. This is what it says. Jesus Himself saying, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He wouldn't have said it if he didn't believe it and if he didn't mean it. Verse 12 and 13. Behold, I'm coming soon. Same chapter. We'd better take note. I'm bringing my recompense with me. In other words, I'm going to be judge over men to, to repay everyone for what he has done. And what he has done there is talking about have you believed or haven't you believed? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, what I say I will do, I will do. When He returns, every eye will see Him. And at Christ's return, He will judge the living and the dead. We believe in the personal return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. Do you believe this, church? Yes, we do. So what do we do with all this? Two points of application. First one is a natural one. What a saviour. What an awesome saviour. He's, he's fully God, but fully man. 
He's the perfect Saviour. He's a miracle-making Saviour. He's a sin-atoning Saviour. He's the resurrected one, the soon-to-be-returning King. In light of that truth, I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus Christ your Lord? What do I mean by that? You see, we can understand these things, but does it have application in your life? Is He Lord in your life? Do you bow to His commands? Do you bow to what His Word says, the way you should live it? Is He Lord of your life in practice? Is He your first love, this great Lord Jesus Christ? Or has another Lord taken His place? Believers. Worship Christ the Lord with your whole being. How do we do that? Titus chapter 2. We're back there. Turn there please. Let's look at that. Titus chapter 2. Here's the practical stuff of how do we do this? How do we make Christ Lord of our lives while we wait for Him? There's all kinds there. You can go and read through the book of Titus. But I want to just look at these specific verses. For the grace of God, think of that, the grace of God. What is the grace of God? It is the undeserved love of God shown to us when we should have got the opposite because we were in rebellion. For the grace of God has appeared. It's a historic fact. Christ has been on this earth. Bringing salvation for all people. Christ died so that any who would come to Him can come. There's no exception clause. You aren't an exception. Christ died for you too, if you would come to Him. Now, how do we live in this way to bring glory to Him? He brought salvation for all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What does that mean? To renounce it. It means turn your back on it. Refuse to be doing anything to do with your passions. Is that possible? We're just humans after all. In my weakness, He is strong. That's all I can say about that, because I know my own life. Bring those passions that you go through as a human being. When you want to lose the rag, give it to Jesus Christ. Allow Him to hold those passions back and instead to replace them with patience, humility, and all those other fruits of the Spirit. He will do it. We are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, now, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave Himself to us to redeem us from all law unlawlessness, sorry, from lawlessness, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you purified by Jesus Christ? Yes, He has done it. But in practice, is He helping you to be purified too? His Spirit does that, you see. The other person of the Trinity is involved in your life. But you need to allow Him to point out those areas. And when He does point out those areas, listen, do, obey. 
Otherwise he comes back in a harder lesson on you. Because he loves you too much just to let it go. He can't. He's a 100% holy God too. And he loves you. The second point is this. Not all will be saved. It's not my news. God says so in His Word. John chapter 3 verse 16 says this. And we should all know this off by heart. But do you know the rest of the verses off by heart? John chapter 3 verse 16. I just want to get a word perfect here. Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I want you to hear what God is saying to you today. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ yet, if you haven't bowed the knee to this Jesus Christ we've been talking about today, then the good news for you is this. Jesus Christ came to die for you. He says so that all who believe in Him can come and receive eternal life. That's you. But listen to what it says in verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, God draws you, but you need to listen to His voice. I can get all complicated here and say, if He draws you, you will come anyway. Because Scripture teaches that that as well. But what His Spirit is saying to you this morning, if Christ says, come, I want to be Lord of your life, will you put yourself under me? The only answer you can give Him is, yes, Lord. Because if you turn away from Him and say, no, Lord, you stand on your own before the wrath of Almighty God. And when Christ reappears, you will not stand. Because you will then recognize He is Lord, I should have listened. Verse 36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It can't be very clear. God's Word has spoken. So not all will be saved, but anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Scripture says, come to me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, drink of me. The drink I have for you will quench your thirst forever. The food I give you will satisfy your hunger forever. And there's no cost to us. Come to me. I have paid the full cost, says Jesus Christ. I have given my life for you. But you need to come. And as we saw earlier, there's no other way to God. Because the only way to God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. You can't save yourself. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says this, There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men. The man Jesus Christ, come to Him today. Let's pray.
we believe in Jesus Christ, Lord our Saviour. Thank You that we can stand up against a world which doesn't want anything to do with You, a world which turns its back on You, and we can state with full confidence in Your promises and in Your Word, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that He is our Saviour. We believe that He has dealt with our sin. We believe that He is soon to return, the coming King and Judge of the world. And Lord, may we take out the message to the world that we believe in Jesus Christ, the lover of the souls of men, that He is the one who is love, and that He wants to show love to whoever will come. And He will show so much love that the Almighty God will change a soul to turn from darkness to light. May we take that message of love to this world which needs you, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we go from this place today, as we go out into a world that doesn't know you, may they see Jesus Christ in us, the hope of salvation. May your Spirit shine through our lives as a bright light pointing to Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Triune God. Amen.